I'm Anne, co-host of Transparency in Teaching, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use, and my Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Donna Mossberg. Donna was a successful turnaround principal in two different elementary schools. And what she did was she focused on school culture. She's featured in the book, Living Faithfully, The Transformation of the Washington School, written by Francis Schoonmaker. So much to learn today. Love this conversation. Great guidance for anybody who's stepping in that role in a, in a school that needs some help. You're going to love it. Thanks for listening. And oh, by the way, it would be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Donna Mossberg joined Broken Arrow Public Schools in 2007. She has held the positions of Executive Director of Professional Development, Executive Director of Ancillary Instructional Services, and the Principal at Rhodes Elementary School. Ms. Mossberg is a graduate of the University of Houston, earning a bachelor's degree in elementary education with a minor in special education and a master's degree in administration from Southwestern Oklahoma State University. She has completed 15 post-master's degree hours and received her superintendent's certification in 2003. Ms. Mossberg has served as a teacher in Houston, Texas, and Clinton, Oklahoma. She was also an assistant principal and a building principal in Clinton for 10 years prior to uh, coming to Broken Arrow Public Schools. Ms. Mossberg was named CCOSA District 10 Administrator of the Year for 2006-2007. Donna has been a presenter for AERA, American Education Research Association, and is an active member of the International Reading Association. She also has presented for classes at the Teachers College at Columbia University, St. Francis Xavier University in Nova Scotia, and Oklahoma State University, Tulsa. Donna presents locally and throughout Oklahoma on brain-compatible classrooms. She also has piloted several programs such as STEM, RTI, PLCs, and Enrichment. 
Ms. Mossberg continually campaigns for at-risk students, and her efforts are chronicled in the book Living Faithfully, The Transformation of Washington School, which was published in 2013, written by Frances Schoonmaker. She has also been published in AER, ARA Wessig with her article Leading with the Heart. Donna, awesome to have you here. Say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone, and thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, and it's so cool. I've, I, I've, we, we connected through Francis Schoonberg, who wrote the book *Living Faithfully: The Transformation of Washington School*, and uh, you get to hear all the cool stuff that you did. And I'm, and this is so awesome because uh, kudos to you for uh, um, the focus and the efforts that you've had to uh, to help kids uh, have the environment right, so they could help work their way towards achieving their dreams. And uh, that's cool stuff. Uh, so I got to ask. Thank you. So I got to ask you, Donna, why did you pursue a teaching career? Well, I'm, I don't usually, I don't enjoy it when people ask me that question because I don't have the typical answer. I did not want to be a teacher. I grew up in a small town. I've moved around throughout the United States, um, but the majority of my uh, education was in a small small community, and you were either a farmer's wife, a teacher, or a nurse, and I wanted to do something that made money and um, change the world, And but I ended up going to Houston and took a test that shows what you're good at, and everything was directed towards teaching or social worker or something like that. And I was fighting it hard, even though in my heart, I wanted to be a teacher probably, but um, I was fighting it hard. And I had a professor who was a science, who was my science teacher. And he was also my advisor and he was trying to help me know what classes to take next and what direction to go and we talked about being a teacher and I said, and I'm embarrassed that I said this, but I said, I don't want to be a teacher. Anybody can be a teacher. I want to be something big. And he said, um, again, I'm embarrassed that I said that, but he said, anybody can be a, t- a teacher, but not anybody can be a great teacher. And that just hit me. And I thought, oh, well, I'll do that. Then I'll be a great teacher. And it just, I went that direction and I loved it. And oh, it's my heart. So glad I did it. That's so cool. And that's why I wanted you to tell a story because it's like, this is not the, not the nor- normal answer. Okay. So good stuff. And, and so I got to ask you, so you said it hit your heart. So what'd you like most about working with kids? Well, I think what, working with kids, I what I enjoy is the challenge of beating the odds. And the challenge of beating the odds and um, just looking at, at kids and thinking, seeing their gifts and seeing their potential and seeing things in them that no one else sees, maybe not even themselves. So that is what, um, what I love the most, seeing them su- succeed when others think they can't. 
That's so cool. And that's a neat feeling, isn't it? When you can, it is. Oh, yeah. Awesome stuff. Love that. Uh, so could you talk about your instructional pep- preparation? I mean, what sort of training did you have uh, that kind of made you stand out from the others? Well, um, I think part of it at the University of Houston, I had a professor, which is an, uh, her name was Dr. Barbara Kiefer. And it was so neat because when I started going to Columbia University to work on the book, I ran into her. And I had no idea that she was there. And she had a big impact on me because she was, she taught in a way that was non-traditional and showed me that there's other ways of teaching. And I think that also um, I went into special education. I had been an assistant for a little while um, as a, as a job in a school with special education students who were multi, had multiple handicaps. And I went ahead and went into special ed and I learned in special education at the University of Houston. It taught me so much about looking at the individual student and not just teaching to the whole group, but, um, you know, individualizing and pulling out strengths that way with adults as well. That's very cool. Cause it's going to pay off for you. That's, that's, uh, that's for sure. So, uh, I like that. Cause that's, that's neat to know, you know, that, that whole focus. I mean, sometimes, and, and, and even going back to what you also were told about, uh, anyone can be a teacher, but it takes something else, someone different to be a great teacher. And it, and it's that whole idea of working with the individual and helping them. That I I just love that because it really fits well together there with what's what's going on. Uh, you know, eventually your path leads you to become an assistant principal and then a principal, and and yeah, that the, that shift that takes place there, I can only imagine <laughs> um, what that was like when suddenly you found yourself uh, as the principal, <laughs> not just helping the principal who was there. Uh, you know, you, you're going to have this focus on changing a school environment. Could you describe what happened that led you to becoming that principal in that school? Well, I was an assistant principal, I believe, for one year. Um, and I was divided between two elementaries, and these were not neighbor, neighborhood elementaries. They were uh, by grade levels, so there was more of a m- mixture of students by the time they got into middle school was the idea behind this, um, so that it wasn't just by classes or neighborhoods. Um, and I was encouraged by the superintendent to get my degree, and I did, and he placed assistance in each building, you know, part-time. And so, like I said, I went back and forth and I had no desire to be the principal at the, at the time I had, um, I think a three-year-old and a six-year-old at home. And it just wasn't what I was felt like I was ready for. I had no confidence either, but the, the principal took a different position and moved right before school started. So the superintendent was new and he he really, I don't think had a choice, but to stick me in there. If I look back, that's probably what I would have done as well. But I was the 11th principal in 22 years at that building. And I did not think that's something I could take on. Um, And I remember sitting across from him because I didn't work with the principal very much. She was so busy with discipline and so forth. I I wasn't around her that much, really, and was just kind of trying to make it through the day. And I remember telling the superintendent, 
I don't think you realize what all I don't know. This is not a good fit. But um, he supported me, put me in the position, and um, I remained 10 years. So That's pretty good for uh, someone who's going, I don't have that. Don't know what to do here. La, 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 la. And, I'm, <laughs> and I guess he pretty much said tough. You're staying. And uh, um, if I want a job, yeah, that's what he ended up saying. If you want to keep working, you're going to have to go in this position. <laughs> nice. What a what a decision! What a decision right there. Very nice. So, surprise, surprise, surprise. Um, so very cool. So you stayed there for ten years, which is which is so awesome. And and uh, you know, and it's cool because you you kind of really answered this question. I mean. Your, your confidence was there just a little lacking in what you were thinking you might have to do, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was scared to death. So. Did, I got to ask, did you know, I mean, because I've re- read the description in the book and, um, but did you have kind of anybody who, who at least you're comfortable going to be able to work with them that they could be, you know, part of that, uh, you know, help you kind of get over that confidence Yes. Um, The counselor there, the school counselor, happened to have been one of my dearest friends growing up. We played basketball together and went to high school together. And she had been at the building a little longer, a couple of years, maybe two or three. And I trusted her and we together made the changes. I mean, we went into the office. I even say in the book, I think there was a boiler room, an old boiler room, and we'd open the door and go in there and say, what are we going to do next? You know, and just cry, whatever we needed to to talk about to get ourselves back on track and um, maybe even out of trouble. (laughs) That's awesome. I, because one of the things that lends itself to, I mean, we're going to talk more later about advice and so forth that you would give to somebody in the same role and position trying to, to make change. But, you know, one of the things that I just get out of that is the, uh, the, the need to have that kind of inner circle type thought where you can, you know, can actually be who you are with that person. And I think that's so, that's so powerful. You know, one of the things that uh, is happened is that you, you're featured in a book called Living Faithfully, The Transformation of Washington School by Francis Schoonmaker. And I've got kind of two thoughts here that I want you to, to think about. And um, one is, if a, if a listener reads Living Faithfully, what would you hope that they take away from your role as turning around a school environment? And the other one is, uh, you became successful at more than one school. Could you talk about what you discovered needed to be done and worked in Um, more than one place that that actually worked in more than one place. Yes. I, I want to say about the book at that time, there was such a huge lack of confidence in me. And honestly, that first year I was thinking if I can just make it through the first year and during that time, I can find someplace else to go because it was, a school was just so many problems. And like I said, 11th principal in 22 years, no one was staying around very long to try to fix the problems or if they, you know, may not even have felt that they could be fixed. But, um, so I wish if, when I look back, I wish I'd had more confidence and wasn't so scared all the time. Um, but, and then this, the next school that I, worked at and made those 
changes and implemented what I learned, I did have confidence and it just made things so much easier. Um, some of the things that I would emphasize if I was getting ready to take over a school that had had issues, I really feel like culture is number one. I feel like it's huge. I think it's everything, and it's not just culture with your teachers, but you have to create a culture with your students and your parents. And I could talk a long time on how to develop that culture. But I also think it's important not to go in. And at both schools, I, I made sure I did not make changes the first year. And I know there needed to be changes, but if I wasn't there, it would have been the same. I, I made subtle hints, subtle changes, but I think going in and just removing people immediately was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to develop relationship and trust with the staff, and I wanted to see what's working and what's not working, and I wanted to see what, what are the teachers and the staff capable of under a different leadership. Because they all have so much to offer. And I always thought, why would I, why would I make all the decisions myself when I have 60 brains that we can do this together? Um, and I'm only going to go as far as we go as a group. And there, and I've been in that position where I worked under a leadership that wasn't good and you felt so stifled and you kept your head down and you did what you were told. And that wasn't me at all. So the teachers that were in the buildings, they needed to have that opportunity, in my opinion, to show me um, what they can do with trust and not feeling scared about how I was going to handle things. Um, so I think that's huge. Um, I also feel like that everybody needs to be able to have some input. And I will say with the first school, when I was so nervous, I found it really difficult. How do I, how do I give them input and still let them know I'm the boss? I, I think that is, scary for a lot of new principals, a lot of administration. I think a lot of people that are do the dictatorship style is because they have fear, fear of losing control. And that's, in my opinion, where so much of it goes wrong. But I always tell my teachers that I'd rather them try something new and fail than not grow. And I developed those relationships with them where they believed what I said with that. And I always told them, I want your input because, um, but come with me, come to me with a solution. And let's talk about the solution that you've come up with and just make sure it's not hurting anyone else in the building. So, so Donna, let's talk a little bit about the, the environment of the, of the building and such, because as you're, as Yes, because it's a surprise to the faculty, too, because they have the one person who leaves at the beginning and uh, you were in, on the staff, but now you're the principal. Um, as, and you said that you didn't really do, you didn't change anything, but you're, you're kind of working on some thoughts. Um, as, as you start 
doing what what you, it's going to be you. Do you get some pushback from the faculty? I mean, can you talk about how you dealt with that? I don't feel like I got as much pushback from the faculty as you would think because they they knew I wasn't just jumping in and just turning everything upside down. At the very at the very um, most that you know, it was going to stay the way it was, even though that might not have been good. But immediately I started talking in faculty meetings about their ideas, what their thoughts were, what did we use, what, what have we done in the past? What's working? What's not working? Um, if something's not working, just, I don't want to, I don't want to hear a complaint about it. What I need to hear is what would make it work. Another thing is I modeled all the time. I didn't, I did not realize how much power I actually had with modeling until I walked down the hallway and heard a teacher pull that pulled a student out into the hallway to visit with that student. And she was using my words towards that student or to that student. And I thought, I didn't really realize they were paying that close of attention. I also learned in a faculty meeting that there was a teacher that no one liked and she could be difficult, but if I, if she made a suggestion and I acknowledged her, I had the power to either roll my eyes or, you know, act in a negative way and continue to keep people not liking her or, model again that I respect some of the things that she has to say and that we are a team and that we're going to we're going to work together and you know and you're valued because I think oh my goodness I think someone feeling valued is huge in in making changes um if I did have any pushback I, I honestly can't think of the at the moment what well, there was um, some pushback in a decision that was made with the district um, on changing how we did um, the gifted and talented program. And so some teachers and teachers that were parents did not like that idea. And also they changed classes every hour and they were fifth and sixth graders. Um, and, and I did end up the next year having them have two teachers, a half day with one teacher and another half day with the net, with the other. And that was a little bit of a pushback because teachers did not want to do the extra lesson plans and the planning and, and, and this sort of thing at first. But then by the time that happened, we had developed a culture where we were going to do what was best for the kids. And we, I think the teachers really, they were catching on that it feels so good to see the change and the success that we will jump in and do whatever we need to do for, um, for just to get that feeling and to see that. So by the time we did that, it wasn't too bad, but I mean, I've had to have hard conversations, um, in the principal's office with the teacher or with, with teachers, not many, 
but saying, you know, this, this is the direction we're going to go. We've had lots of feedback and input. And if it's, if you don't feel that it's working for you, then this may not be a fit for you. Those are difficult conversations to have, and uh, sometimes they just got to be had. Uh, what uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you talked about, uh, you know, you'd been on the staff not long, <laughs> but you'd been there, and uh, uh, and you got to see some of what was going on, and then you immediately didn't like say, "I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that, I'm going to." Um, you, you know, one of the things that you you did was you, uh, um, you know, obviously you started seeing what needed attention at least first or what needed your attention right off the bat, what, what would you say were some of the main uh, areas that needed to be focused on? Oh my goodness. In both schools, I would say the student culture because students didn't see it as a popular thing to learn. We, we implemented getting smarter and, students didn't see that there was just, there were fights and there was, you know, they came to school, so many of them, not all of them, but so many of them came to school just because they had to and to be entertained um, by a fight or, um, I mean, it, it was honestly to me scary. I, I was scared in lots of ways and um, lots of times that didn't have a choice because then I'd remember, oh, yes, um, the buck stops here, so I've got to do something. But, um, you know, it was just, I think this, the students, there were so many fights, there was some racial uh, tension. For one thing, you know, at the beginning of the day, as the buses would unload, they would just stand outside with a person working that that was not a good fit for her. She was an assistant and she agitated the students. She needed to be working one-on-one or doing more paperwork type things. And so that's another thing I did too. Before I ever let someone go, I tried to move them into a position that they were more fit for. But um, so I remember we we had the morning announcements about it was at an odd time i want to say 9 10 or something it was about an hour before school after school had already started and i asked the counselor my friend why do we do announcements now and she said because that's when you get finished dealing with the fights from the morning and i said um so that was <laughs> first things we worked on and we and we started changing school culture one of the ways was with a school assembly and where the students ate breakfast went in sat in these pod sections and teachers were in and we had entertainment or you know awards acknowledgments just things to stop the fighting and start our morning off much much better (laughs) That's wild. The, uh, the, so when you're talking about this, the student culture and the fights and all of that, and, and you start bringing them together to have these, uh, to have these meetings after breakfast and so forth, what, I mean, you know, what, uh, did you notice a point where as you're doing things that things are getting better, it feels different? Yes. Um, 
my, my superintendent had told me, and he was so supportive and so good. He told me that if I would give it three years, it would, I would see the changes and my job would be much easier. I had no intentions of staying three years, but really I want to say the middle of the second year, it was going well. I, things were in place by the middle of the second year. And then after that, it was just icing on the cake of what, what we added or what we did. Um, so, and you could just see the change in the students and the teachers and had to, it, it happened simultaneously, but um, by then people were excited to be there. They, they had hope. They enjoyed their jobs again. The students felt the same way and the students were eager to share what they just learned. We had an in-school detention and when I first took over, there'd be 10 or 12 kids in there easily a day. And we had a football coach that worked in the deten in the in-school detention. And we were able to change that where we hardly ever used it. And when, and so therefore, so therefore during his time, he was able to go in and tutor in classes and help students with math or whatever we needed help with um, and do some team teaching because we hardly ever used the in-school detention after that. That's cool. Can, can you talk a little bit about the demographics of the school? I mean, what, what were you running into as far as things that were happening in the community that might have impacted the, the school as well? Well, um, it's, it was around an 80% free and reduced lunch rate. And the school that I was at last was, I think, 68%, but still had lots and lots of problems. Um, I just, I think you would have thought it was close to 100, and you would have thought that the school in Clinton was close to 100%. But the demographics were, you had the families that um, were, you know, the attorneys, the the doctors, dentists, and so forth. You had their children, and then you had um, a large Hispanic population, many illegal, that was around 40%. Um, then you had an African-American population that was very segregated and lived in its own part of the um, community. You had a Native American population, and then you had a Caucasian population that um, was at risk or in the, was poor. And so you had a lot of um, you had you had a lot of families that didn't feel like the school was a good place for their kids until they got in high school and could play football maybe. But before that, there wasn't really, and, and we did have, they did have excellent programs. All the districts I've worked in have excellent programs, music, everything. But um, as far as elementary or, you know, upper elementary, they didn't have as many opportunities for kids. So, and the parents 
came into the schools with um, ready to fight in lots of situations and was going, they were going to take up for their child, you know, by threatening and yelling and that sort of thing. So we had to work on the culture with parents too. Um, and with, with in the community itself. So Donna, let's, let's go into a little bit more of the demographics. Like, uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, where the school's located in the idea of, is it, uh, a rural setting? Is it a suburban setting? And could you kind of go into um, just some information about, I mean, what do the parents do? Uh, what, what's what's going on uh, um, in their work world? Where, you know, can you talk a little bit about that, those things? Yes. Um, a lot of parents at this either school that I was at, a lot of the parents did not work or do not work. Um there's not a lot of jobs. A lot have been in and out of prison. There's um, factory work for some. And very low paying wages. But remembering back, it just seems like the majority of the parents that I dealt with a lot, um, they didn't have jobs kind of, you know, and there's just not a lot, there just wasn't a lot of work. And, and I will say, you know, this had been at one time a thriving community. It had been a, um, a farming community and it's just, it's not now. And um, with the different times, but one of the things that when I would be able to travel and go to a larger city and I love to go and observe schools in inner cities, but I found that the first thing people think from in the inner cities is that, well, you're, you're just a small town. You don't have problems. And I had every problem they've had as much, if not more, there was really no, no difference. I mean, we had some gangs. We, there's just, there's no difference. Um, and I don't think people believe that. And, and I will say the drugs are just so rampant and such a problem in some of these rural areas that's, you know, a huge, huge part of, of what you're dealing with, not necessarily with students, although it is with students, but with, with the environment they're growing up in. Gotcha. And then, you know, one of the things that you just, you just talked about, I mean, I, in one of my settings, I, I got to work with a former DE agent because of issues that uh, we had in the community um, with uh, meth and meth, the labs and stuff like this. And it, it was a rural area becoming suburban and, one of the things I'll never forget him talking to me about is that uh, in these areas that used to be so rural that had these old barns and stuff like that were perfect settings for, uh, for meth labs and such because they kind of go undetected in the, and they have to watch those all the time because they're out in the middle of nowhere, kind of abandoned barns and stuff like this suddenly would be producing just is terrible stuff. Uh, what, you know, one of the things that uh, um, you're, you're talking about here, so w- would you say that most of the, the poverty that you're dealing with is generational. Yes. I mean, the poverty is just 
town or citywide. Gotcha. Did, did they, I mean, did you have, uh, like, for example, you know, if someone got injured on a farm or it, whatever it is, um, did, did you have your own hospital there or did they have to go to another community in order to receive treatment and such? There, there was a hospital in that community. Gotcha. The, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just thinking I have, I have dealt with things where some of my Hispanic students were hurt. One had a needle in his foot that was, we found out was working its way up into his bloodstream. And we had, um, really neat things that we did at the schools. Like we did, um, scuba diving and we did this, um, uh, we did this 10 mile hike that we'd worked up to at the lake, you know, things that we really tried to bring experiences to the, the kids that they wouldn't otherwise have, um, and make school a place they wanted to be. But he couldn't walk when we were practicing or working on it and found out that this needle was in his foot. And when we talked to the mother, she was so scared and wouldn't take him to the doctor and couldn't because they, they were not legal. They weren't there legally. And so I, a teacher paid for it and took him to one of the doctors and um, they said it would have, you know, he would have could have easily died if that hadn't been taken care of. But so there was oftentimes that families couldn't seek help. Um, I'm still in touch with a student. She just turned 40, but I'm, she was in my second grade class and her mother, I don't think it was because of um, being illegal, but had, um, wouldn't take her to the doctor and her thumb was infected. And my principal at the time finally said, just take her. And the doctor was willing to lance it. I mean, all these things that people are so scared to do today because of legal ramifications, but it was saving kids, you know, and, and I've always told my staff, if it's, if it's legal, legal and ethical, you can do it. Um, if that's what it takes to save a kid. That's, that's interesting. You know, it's cause it's one of the things that you do run into in severe poverty and such. And, and then, and then if your kids come from different places, like uh, where they might have a, a, other cultural interference, um, like I can remember a young man from a Central American country who um, his family was using kind of a potion mixed in and putting hot rocks and mm-hmm. uh, we ended up having to get him to a chiropractor, uh, to a doctor to look at his back and so forth. And then the, they ended up uh, <laughs> doing what they do and it, it kind of fixed him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, but the other stuff, who knows if he would ever been out of pain with what they were doing. But, you know, it's, it, it's interesting when you run into that. So, so let's kind of, let's, let's talk in general about environments for a minute. I mean, you know, schools and their environment, you, you're there, you're trying to take care of the school culture. I mean, you, you talked about how kids really didn't want to be there. I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of times when kids don't want to be there, it's also possible that the teachers don't want to be there and you have high, uh, you know, volume of um, turnover in teachers or you have a high volume of, uh, of uh, you know, being out more than <laughs> a few days in a month and uh, or over a series of months. And, and uh, 
What do you think causes adults to allow a school to lose its focus? I mean, allow violence to creep in, encourage teachers to hide behind their doors and administration, you know, to rely on fear to try to get things done. I mean, where, where do you think all that comes from? I mean, get, what do you think about that? Well, I, I kind of think part of it is ignorance and not really understanding what they need to be doing to, to bring everyone together where it's a place they want to be. Um, I don't think that some people really have the skills or the philosophy um, and the understanding of what it takes. And I really feel, and I'd said this before, but I really feel there's so many administrators out there that worry if they give teachers input that they are going to lose control. And that is, uh, the you know, that's ridiculous. Teachers having input you, you do have to have that backbone to be able to say, no, that's taking it too far, or no, I'm not okay with that. You do have to be able to read people and put people on teams and together where they work well together, and there's not an informal power group that is going to run over you. I mean, you have to be able to see those things, but be not valuing people and not letting them bring their best and their strengths um, not finding their strengths and putting them on the committee that they can shine on. You know, if everybody's got their place that they're helping um, the school go forward, it just works. And I just feel like it's fear in a lot of white fear and ignorance of um, what needs to be done. That's so powerful because, you know, you, you look at what you're able to accomplish and it's the opposite of, of using fear. It's the opposite of doing, you know, of, uh, you know, uh, the idea that, uh, oh, yeah, well, uh, morale will improve or the beatings will continue type thing, you know, and it's and, you know, <laughs> morale's not going to improve that way. You know, I love that. I saw that sign in a in a, <laughs> a, a gift shop near the, the, the coast where they have pirate stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool, you know. <laughs> Uh, and in some ways, though, that's what people do. And it's like, uh, why in the world would you think, and, and including, like you talked about, including voices, the voices of the teachers. The, I mean, I love what you said earlier. There's, I got 60 brains that we could put to work on this task. I mean, let's put them to work on it. And uh, making the one teacher feel like uh, she mattered, who uh, had, you know, <laughs> could, could cause issues. And and I'm sure you ran into the same thing with the kids. I mean, I mean out of working with all those, those people, I mean, one of the things that uh, – I'm guessing that it took time. Is that so? It did take time. But like I said, in a, within a year and a half, it we were moving in the right direction, and it became popular to get on the train. I mean, you know, even if someone wasn't quite getting it, and I talked to them about maybe it's not a good fit, or no one wanted to really leave, and they wanted to be on that train. Um, and we developed the train together, um, but it felt so good to see the success. You could just see the light bulbs go off in their heads and students' heads of what can we do to even make it better. Um, and the pride that the students had where they hadn't had, we, we, we decorated the school and where before we could have put you know, at, at either school, there might have been something that you would have set out, say a football or something. It would have been stolen or 
destroyed within a couple of hours. But after we made these changes of where it's popular to be part of this movement we're, we're on, you could put anything out there and it was protected, not stolen. That's so, awesome. you know, again, the culture has to be the whole environment, not just one or the other. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of what goes along with that is that you stayed the course. You know, you know, one of the things I learned is that uh, working with kids and families is that, you know, lots of people say, I'm here for you. We're going to make things different. We're going to do this. It's there. Everything's going to be better. And then they leave in a year, you know, <laughs> and, uh, right. and like you said, there were uh, quite a few principals at that school in a, in a, in a relatively short span, you know, to have, I think you said 11 in 22 years. That's a, yes. that's quite a bit. Um, well, and can I just say, too, as far as upper administration, the demands that they sometimes put on buildings and principals and teachers, I could talk a long time about that. That, you know, again, I've been there. I've been in those positions, and I feel like, and I've watched, I feel like they, again, it's a control thing and a fear that they don't know another way than to put these mandates instead of differentiating, you know, instruction, um, you're supposed to do that, but why can't you also do it for a principal or a building? Because we don't all need the same demands put on us. We are moving forward. We don't need to be doing this. We need to be doing what works for our building. If we're getting success, I mean, I told my teachers, I trained them all the time on how the brain learns, on, you know, different different ways. I love instruction. I love professional development. But I told them, I don't care what you use as long as I get results. If you're getting results, then you teach it the way you want to teach it, as long, again, as it's legal and ethical. But um, it doesn't need to be cookie cutter so everybody has the same outcome that's not what's needed um it's the freedom and being able to be creative and being able to reach your students and read read what your students need but in a large district it's even worse because they want everyone they they need to somehow make sure that everyone is getting the same education and i i would love to help some administrators in higher positions or state superintendents or whatever know what is needed and not needed to get their results. I love that. I love that. This is, uh, <laughs> uh, this, uh, I feel you. I understand exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, it's, well, it's the powerful. unnecessary mandates make it where you can't be successful and it, it makes people leave because they can't, it sucks the life out of them. That's the worst part is that you, you can't do anything about it. Therefore, and it's something that you should be, shouldn't have even to deal with, which is even more incredible because you've got other stuff over here where, you know, whatever is going on, it's keeping you there late or keeping you up earlier or, or during the day, the little fires that pop up. And then you've got this or someone saying that this is how we're going to run this school and uh, that they're not in the school. Um, but, or the uh, paperwork to, sh you know, so I can be accountable. 
um, all those kind of things that take away from what needs to be done to get success. And, and I am not, I do not enjoy testing, do not like it at all. Um, I always felt like it showed what my kids, my students didn't know versus let me tell you what my kids do know with problem solving and critical thinking and so forth. But um, I will, I've played the game and out of 15 elementaries, I should have been at the very bottom statistically. And I was often had the very best test scores in the district. So I know how to play the game, but the game that you have to play sometimes does not lend itself to, you know, I always felt like, okay, let's do what we have to get it done, push it out of the way. Now let's do real education. And I'm no longer there. I'm retired. So I'm very bold and and can say what I want to say. I I like that. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Because it, you know, some of it, uh, it, it, it's, it is just amazing because, you know, one of the mo- most amazing aspects when you talk to people who've worked with kids in schools who are teachers or administrators, if they made a difference and they made an impact and they, and they focused on why they're there, then they say the same things, that the, the magic of working with kids is trying to figure out what helps them to get the light bulb to go off or to, what helps them get excited about being there. And then in turn, they get excited about being there and they want to do more. And, you know, and it's not that somehow we did lockstep and we made everything happen and all the plans were, you know, <laughs> written exactly the same way and everybody was at the same place at the same time and, and all of that. It's because you can't be that way because every kid's different. Every, even in, within the same classes, even the most advanced kids, every one of them is different. And, uh, you know, sure. and it, it requires that different type of attention, which you're kind of drawn away from. So, so tell me, I, I got to ask this because along the way, when you were, when you're doing this work, there had to be some things that you'll remember that if you were working with a principal who's going into a situation like this, that you wish you had had somebody say, stop for just a second (laughs) before you go this way. Was there anything like that that you just remember that you'd wish you'd had somebody telling you, well, maybe we want to think this one through before we do this. Um, I, for myself, I, I, again, it was confidence and have some confidence and not be so scared that that would have been really nice. Um, but as far as chain, you know, as far as things I've experienced that I'm fortunate that I didn't do that, I think would have been huge because I've experienced this as a, as an, an employee, but when someone comes in and wipes everything clean and starts over, I just think the amount of fear and distrust and, you know, just takes months, maybe years for someone to, if they're even there that long, for someone to build, you know, to change that, to make that change where people can believe that, hey, I'm safe, he's not after me, I'm going to be all right. Um, I just think that's huge. I don't think anyone can work in those conditions. I mean, I, I can get some probably people not happy with, well, that teacher is terrible and you should have got rid of them the first year. You know, I, I can see people saying that, um, but I think one more year with that person with me helping them 
would um, is better in the long run for what that does for the rest of the teachers and the environment. You know, it's uh, one of the things that uh, I always wish I had was someone who was actually, <laughs> it, you could, you referred to the counselor early on when I asked you the question, but you know, one of the things I discovered was that I needed kind of this inner circle where we could be who we are together so that if you close the door and you could just kind of vent or you could uh, say, you know, get it out of your system and say, okay, now help me figure this one out. And, uh, and then when you open the door, though, boom, we're back on, you know, even keel, all is good. <laughs> Let's go about doing that. Did, did you have that kind of like group over time? Because you're there for 10 years. So did, did you, did, were you able to develop a, a group like that? To be honest, I didn't have a huge staff there. Probably, I can't even remember, probably 25 or 30. Um, And when I say staff, my custodians, my cooks, everyone was as important to me as my teachers. It took us all. And I have worked in almost every position in a school. Or my mother, my mother was a cook for a while. So um, I value every person there and I realize their input, you know, I realize their job, what it is so important for us to be successful, for all of us to be successful. So I I just I always loved all my people and I was very approachable, very honest. I leaned on on my teachers and some or my staff in some ways just as much Maybe, you know, just as much as they leaned on me, it was a together thing. I mean, they knew that if I had to put my foot down, I would. But, and maybe, you know, as far as something that I was, that needed to be, oh, confidential, that would have been with my counselor and behind closed doors. But very quickly, that I, I felt like I could rely on my staff to ask them. And I didn't care if, I didn't care if they thought that I wasn't um, totally had totally had the answers. I would admit to them. I don't know about this. I don't know if the boiler room, the boiler's going to blow up. I need to ask my custodian to explain this to me. I don't know. You know, there was things I didn't know. And I think that they liked helping me succeed. That's awesome. Cause that's, that's so powerful. Just that statement right there, because it, it tells you about the connections that you made in order to, uh, for them to come together like that. So I love it. Uh, you know, one of the things as we're getting close to uh, finishing up Donna that I got to ask you is if you were telling somebody that you discovered this one thing that's so important in helping to write a school, uh, get things going on the right path, what would, what would one thing be that you thought very important they had to understand valuing your people i just valuing your people and seeing their strengths that is so cool because that is something that uh, i think too easily we forget (laughs) or some do (laughs) so yes Love that answer. Love that answer. You know, uh, Donna, if someone wanted to reach out to you and say, hey, I'd love some help or I'd love to talk with you some more, or is there some way they could reach out to you? Um, Yes, they can email me and 
um, I'd be happy to answer their email or even talk to them or visit with them. And I've done some consulting. I'd be happy to go to a school and sit down with a group of people and help them know what they need to work on, <laughs> in my opinion. Do you want my email address? Uh, very cool. If you'd say it and then I'll include it in my show notes, that would be great. Okay. It's Donna sells Tulsa at gmail.com because now I sell real estate on the site. <laughs> Excellent. And I'll make sure it's in the show notes so that, uh, they can find it easily. And, uh, um, and, and so that's awesome. So I got, uh, two last questions I want to ask you and they're just uh, general questions that I like to ask my guests. And so the other thing I want to make sure is that, uh, and, uh, and for those of you listening, if you want to um, get into more specifics about what, uh, uh, what happened at uh, one of the schools where, uh, where Donna was, um, the book is called Living Faithfully, The Transformation of Washington School by Francis Schoonmaker. And uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. Uh, so with that being said, I got two last questions for you, Donna. And the first one goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Um, that's a good question because, um, I think honestly that, um, I retired a little earlier than I intended to. And I think it was just because I was exhausted. I think if you do it right, it is exhausting. Um, but I just feel like the the shining moments get around the kids, the shining moments of, of what a child is doing that's successful when things are hectic in the office or at principal's meetings or whatever, the thing I always did was try to go into a classroom or down the hallways and see the kids. And that refueled me. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? And if so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I have several, so that's a difficult question, but I would probably say Mrs. Covey and she was an she was actually a music teacher and we did musicals and plays and she was just the thing that was special about her to me was that she saw my strengths and she believed in me and helped me believe in myself and then what's even more interesting she retired and then decided to come out of retirement and I hired her for my music teacher at my building and um we're good friends to this day that's awesome. I love that. That is so cool. Very nice. Uh, Donna, this is this has been so awesome catching up with you and learning about you know, what you did, what you ran into as you were making a difference in those schools. Uh, and uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your successes and what you learned and, uh, and what you did for making a difference in children's lives. So thank you so much and wishing the best in all you do. Thank you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. Here, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. <laughs> <laughs>